Acts chapter 16, starting at verse 6. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mycenae, they attempted to go into Bithynia. But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So, passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia, from the city of Tyratira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptised, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord... Come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. A, a number of years ago now, we attended a kids' sports day and the parents were gathered in a kind of extended semicircle with the children in front. And the headmistress started to deliver her customary pep talk for the start of a school sports day. And I was standing next to a particularly blunt and outspoken mother, not my wife, <laughs> And as the headmistress said, of course, boys and girls, it's not the winning, it's the taking part that counts. She said, and I'm not going to give you the precise words, she said it wouldn't be suitable from a pulpit, in a voice loud enough for all the parents to hear, but not the headmistress and the kids, rubbish. Do you know, we love to be on the winning side, and we hate not being on the podium. We love to cross the line first, and we don't like to back losers. In fact, just this lunchtime, it so happened, we were having a conversation with somebody at the table. It was a guy who'd captained a team that had lost a very, very important match earlier this year. And he was just recounting how he still kind of wakes up at night in cold sweats about the bad decisions he'd taken. And they were. So whether it's Manchester City or the Rugby World Cup or the Ashes or whatever it happens to be, did you see Shikari Richardson as she crossed the line first in the 100-meter 4 by 100-meter relay? Did you see the celebrations? And then did you see the Jamaicans and their desolation? Why is it that loser is such a term of abuse? Of course, the more the cause matters, the more important that we're on the winning side. The more the issue is one of life and death, of good for humanity, or evil, or justice, truth, life, salvation, the more essential that the cause prevail. And over the next six weeks, we're going to witness the triumph 
of the good news of the rule of Jesus Christ. We're going to be studying the book of Acts. We've studied it actually this time of year over a number of years. And up front, the author, a man called Luke, he wrote the gospel, Luke's gospel, if you come across that. Uh, Luke tells us that in his first volume, he told us what Jesus began to do. And in this volume, what we like to call the ongoing acts of Jesus, Luke says he's going to tell us what Jesus went on to do. And right up front in the gospel, Luke gives us the program of what he wants to show us. So turn back, if you would, to Acts chapter 1. Keep a finger, page 11414, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Well, look up the column, page one. What page did I say? 1095, we should be on. 1095. Look at the column to verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Now, this is his ongoing works. Now look at sentence number 8, verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, Jesus says to his disciples. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So... This whole book is about the advance of the good news of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. You'll see you've been given this lay six card. I think it's extremely helpful. I can't take credit for it. It was drawn, I think, by um, somebody else and then stolen by Tim Shepard. And you can see here the way that the Christian gospel makes its way from Jerusalem all the way, a checkered flag. Do you see over there in Italy, Rome? And in the first century, Rome is, as it were, the ends of the earth because it was the center of the Roman Empire. And from there, it was going to go, well, to to here, for example, across across the globe. Now, the book of Acts is divided into major blocks. And at the end of each block of teaching, Luke gives a kind of summary sentence. And what I've done on your handout, which I hope you've also got in a hand somewhere, on the handout, I've given you three of those summary sentences. I wonder if you can spot the difference between them. It shouldn't be difficult because I've underlined it. Okay, so Acts chapter 6, verse 7. Do you see under the introduction, the word of God continued to increase? Acts chapter 12, verse 24. That's the end of another major block of teaching. The word of God increased. The end of our section, Acts chapter 19, verse 20, and I've given you the King James translation because I think it's the most accurate. So, mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. So what Luke is wanting us to see in this section in particular is the mighty growth of the word of God and its mighty triumph. I mean, if the word of God were an army, it's the the mighty advance of the word of God. Uh, If the word of God were in some kind of race, it's the mighty victory of the word of God. What Luke is wanting us to see particularly here is the mighty advance and the prevailing of the word of God. And, and, and you can see it on the map, actually. Don't bother looking at it right now. We'll look at it again in a moment. We just see the gospel advance and advance and advance and advance and advance. 
And this really matters, that the Christian message should prevail. It matters. Jesus has broken into this world. Jesus has lived a life of sinless perfection. Jesus died on the cross to carry God's judgment at all the rotten things and the way that we've lived against God. Jesus rose having paid that punishment for our sin. Jesus is now enthroned and Jesus will return in judgment to summon every single one of us in this room and across the world to meet him face to face, a great day of accountability. This message, why it's for the good of humanity, for forgiveness, for truth, for justice, the advance of the gospel. Trouble is, it doesn't always look on the surface of it as if the word of God. I, I don't know what it's like for you in your office or you know, in your new halls of residence if you're arriving as a student or in the hospital or, or in the city or village or town or, or, or whatever where you come from. It doesn't always look like the word of God is triumphing. And yet, if you simply stop and look at the statistics, it has the billions of men and women across the globe starting with just 11 fragile disciples who now believe it has triumphed. And Luke wants to show us, yet that the word of God mightily grows and triumphs, and also how. I think it's going to be a terrific few weeks for us as we see how it is that the word of Jesus Christ, with all the goodness it brings, advances and prevails. It doesn't always look like it's advancing and prevailing. We'll talk much more about that in the weeks that follow. But it does, and this is how it happens. That's where we're going. And I hope we'll gain great confidence, wherever we are in London, that Jesus is about advancing his rule triumphantly. Two very simple points this evening. One, Jesus' rule triumphs as Jesus directs its advance. Now, at first glance, you read those first verses that Jen read for us so well, and you think, well, this is just a kind of travel itinerary. It's slightly better than some of the European holidays that some of us tried to go on. I heard of somebody this week who told their boss they were going to a funeral, and they weren't. It wasn't a member of St. Helens, and they were ended up stuck in Italy. For a week. I don't know how she coped with uh, seeing her boss when she got home. But, um, you know, travel itineraries, they look a little bit... I, I don't recommend that, by the way, at all. It's not, not what we're about. But, um, <laughs> but, but it does look like it's just a kind of travel itinerary, doesn't it? What is there for us here? Well, look at it closely. They went through the region of uh, six, Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. When they come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus didn't allow them. Passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. When he'd seen the vision, immediately we, Luke, by the way, the author is with them now, this is eyewitness stuff, sought to go into Macedonia, concluding God has called us to preach the gospel. To them. So, so Paul was a great planner, a great schemer. He, he was a great strategist. 
And at the end of chapter 15, there in verse 36, over the page on the left-hand column, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. And how they, how they are. And so you can see, if you follow the yellow arrow on the map, that is precisely what Paul does. He travels through Phrygia and Galatia. You can see them on the map. He wants to go to Asia in the southwest, but having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit. And so he thinks, well, we, we, we'd better go on up into Bithynia in the northeast, maybe then thinking of tracking across into the Stans, ac- across the water there and up into Russia. But, verse 7, the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. And so they went down to Troas, and then there was the vision. So Paul planned, yeah, but the language of forbidden is interesting, isn't it? We don't know quite how they were forbidden. Was it a roadblock or a government intervention or a band of dangerous brigands or just lack of funds? We've no idea. And verse 7 is interesting too. He says it's the spirit of Jesus. Remember, these are the ongoing works of Jesus. Jesus is directing his mission by his Holy Spirit. And Asia, as you can see from the map, is in the southeast. Bithynia is to the north. And Paul is prevented by the spirit of Jesus from going to both of these places. Instead, he heads for the coast to Troas, and then he receives a vision. Now, we're not told what the vision was. Was it a dream? Was it a kind of hallucinogenic appearance? Had Paul been eating too much cheese or some of those funny kind of mushrooms? We don't know. But Macedonian dress was very distinctive, and so was a Macedonian accent. Did he come from Hull? Who knows? But this vision appears to him, come across, and Paul concludes that the Holy Spirit is directing. Well, what to learn, what to learn, what to learn? I think these verses are absolutely key as we consider the advance of the Christian gospel and its triumph across the world. It will advance. There's no disputing that. All over the world, this gospel is advancing and bearing fruit. You know, we've just had the great joy of having 15 new associates. They've arrived to work with us and for the training scheme. And I looked around our garden where we were having lunch. There were people from China, mainland China, Australia. Well, the Kenyans haven't arrived, but they will be there. Lithuania, Japan, Singapore, France, Wales, and even St. Albans. And one or two other places as well. I'm sorry if I've missed you out. But you know, so the gospel has advanced to the ends of the earth, to the ends of the earth. It's even reached us. The gospel will advance. There's no disputing it. But the Lord Jesus directs it as he wishes. And and you know, that's incredibly important, I think, in a congregation, a church like this, where we've got so many kind of planners you know, man, I always think management consultants are really kind of witch doctors, but there we are. You've got all these kind of management consultants and accountants and all the rest of it. You all make plans and all the rest of it. But actually, we have to have the flexibility to recognize that the Lord will direct his gospel advance as he wishes, according to his will. My predecessor, the previous vicar here, 
um, is now 98. I've just interviewed, done uh, over the last five years or so, done a number of interviews with him and went back and talked about the early days of St. Helens back in 1961, 62, 63, when he was just getting this work going. The building was empty. There were six members in the congregation, just six, and it was a complete ruin. And over the years, it gradually built and the mission of the church grew and grew. And On reflection, this is how Dick has put it in his interview. He said, it's as if it were a great chessboard and the Lord was moving all the pieces as he wished. In fact, we've always tried to plan. You know, we... we, Back in 2000, we developed a sort of strategy for the next 10 years, like, like you like to do. And, you know, we were going to do work in French-speaking Europe. It's absolutely wonderful. In fact, one of our associates is from France, French-speaking Europe. So that's a wonderful thing. But within two years, a group of young guys had arrived. They just turned up one Sunday evening, one of them. He was coming back from America, landed here, was here on a Sunday evening, cancelled his flight, and spent the next period of time with us here, and then said, would you come and start helping us in Latvia, in Riga? I didn't quite fit our plans. We, we talk about French-speaking Latvia, but no, they all speak Latvian, actually. Do you see that kind of flexibility, the Lord directing his work? In fact, we tried to plant a church in Covent Garden. It ended up in Islington. We recruited, we hired a man, who wanted to do a work in Waterloo. He's now in Stratford. The Lord directed. It struck me that this is tremendously helpful for us on a personal level. I don't think it's a frontline application. Because in this building, certainly at the four o'clock when I was speaking, you know, there were young things there who hadn't quite got the grades they wanted. (laughs) And they were going off to a different part of the country. And there will be people here this evening What am I doing in London? How did I end up here? And the Lord moving people according to his sovereign will. There was a lad from Hong Kong at the four o'clock congregation. He ended up at university in Manchester. I mean, fancy that. But anyway, he did. And then he's got a job in London. He said it was the last thing. What an encouragement that the Lord sovereignly directs according to his plan for the advance of his gospel. Lesson number one, the mighty advance. Lesson number two, very simply, Jesus's rule triumphs as he opens the hearts of individuals. Now, this is immensely important. The key sentence is the second half of verse 14. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Now, over the next six weeks, we're going to visit six cities in southern Europe. If you've just returned from a 50-degree heat holiday and the fires of southern Europe, I'm so sorry to traumatize you. Holidays in England are great. I recommend the southwest of England, but that's my bag and you go where you like. But we're going to travel from Philippi to Thessalonica to Berea to Athens to Corinth and to Ephesus. And in each place, we're going to see that the word of the Lord triumphs. And we're going to be shown what it will look like. In each place, we meet significant individuals. So here is Lydia. 
Then there's the Philippian jailer. That's next week. Then there's Jason, Justus, and Crispus, and Sosthenes. Then there's Apollos, Prisca, and Aquila. We're going to see really very significant opposition. Paul is put in jail. He's physically set upon. He's beaten illegally with rods. There are earthquakes and all sorts of other phenomena that take place. How does Jesus' rule mightily grow and prevail? One by one. One by one. Secretly, quietly, in the heart of the individual. Verse 14b, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. I mean, Paul was speaking the words of life. This is life and death. This is heaven and hell. This is eternity and destiny. This really matters. This is more important than anything you're going to read uh, on your, your feeds, your news feeds, or your social media. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is how can I be forgiven? This is how am I going to live the rest of my life? This is who rules me. Am I just a lost atom floating through space, coming from nowhere and heading to judgment? Or is there forgiveness? And is there life? Is there a living God? This really matters. It matters that it triumphs. For it's the good of humanity. But it advances one by one, by one, by one. As the Lord opens the heart. I think that's one of the reasons why it can look so dispiriting. That it isn't actually our grand designs and human plans. It's directed by Jesus and he directs it into the heart of the individual. I mean, what I find very ironic is that the first person Paul engages with, about whom we're told, is neither a man nor a man from Macedonia. So the vision was of a man from Macedonia. This is Lydia. She comes from Thyatira. And Thyatira is in Asia, which is the very place where Paul was forbidden from going by the Holy Spirit. It's as if, it's as if the Lord says, oh, uh, you're not going there. I want you to go over there. And by the way, when you get over there, you're going to meet somebody from over there who I've prepared to hear the message. And Lydia becomes, I take it, a major patron and backer of gospel work in Macedonia. She was a dealer in purple cloth. Purple was the color of power. Was she a bespoke Taylor to the elite. I don't mean Bowden, Fatfish, Charles Tyrett, or Zara. I mean Armani, Hermé, Chanel, Welsh and Jeffreys, Savile Row. Lydia was a god worshipper, some sort of Jewess, at least a female Jewish convert. I wish we had a kind of time warp drone that we could go back to the beach. I mean, Paul always went to the Jewish community. There was no synagogue, a big enough Jewish community in Philippi to have a synagogue. The Jews were meeting on the beach in a prayer meeting. And I wish we could kind of take a drone back there and have a film of it, except we wouldn't see very much. We'd just see this bloke talking to this group of women. And that's it. It doesn't look very impressive. The Lord 
opened her heart to pay attention. We haven't got time together. I've jotted down some references on your sheet there where we read about the disciples on the road to Emmaus at the end of Luke's gospel. The Lord opened their eyes to recognize him. The Lord opened their minds to understand the scripture. This is not a new idea. How does Jesus' rule advance by this supernatural, unseen work as the Lord opens people's The heart is not actually the seat of the emotion in the Bible. It's the seat of decision-making, thinking, the will. It wasn't that Lydia felt some kind of nice, gooey feeling there as she stood on the beach. It was that her thinking, her decision-making, her will was cracked open supernaturally by God. The heart in the Bible is described, the human heart, as hard and as obstinate, as deceived and blind, as dull. The heart in the Bible is described, the human heart, as straying and as wandering, as proud and as unbelieving. It's not very complimentary, is it? That's what God sees us as, hard and stubborn and deceived and blind, evil, dull, wandering, I played the first round of golf that I played for over 40 years in the summer. And let me tell you, well, never on the fairway, always in the rough, always in the bunker, never on the green. That is the human heart. And the Lord cracked it open. So again, this is great, isn't it? It's such a help. We tend to think if only my arguments were strong enough or if only my logic was persuasive enough or if only my friendship were winsome enough or if only the preacher were funny enough or emotionally moving enough. No, 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 no. What's needed is for the Lord to open the heart. I wonder if he has actually opened your heart, if there's been a supernatural work softening the hard heart enlightening the ignorant heart, drawing back the wandering heart, bringing life to the dead heart. The Lord opened. How does the gospel advance? One by one, as God does his supernatural work But notice again, Paul doesn't just sit and kind of expect it to happen. He he speaks, he shares the gospel. And you know, there may well be somebody in the office that you've been brought into London to work in who's just longing. The Lord is just ready to open the heart. Latvia, we'll finish with this. Uh, We mentioned French-speaking Latvia earlier and uh, our French-speaking Europe mission that ended up in Latvia. Latvia, the story of the gospel amongst the people that we've worked amongst and had the privilege of being friends with in Latvia is a remarkable thing. When the Iron Curtain came down, they taught you about that in history in 1989, the fall of the Iron Curtain, uh, a friend of ours, Alvis, we only met him, you know, much later, he 
thought a good move. He's a real wheeler dealer, and he thought it would be a good move to become a pastor of a church. He wasn't a Christian at that stage, but he thought it would be a really good career move. So he became the pastor of a church. And because he's the kind of guy he is, he chose the most fashionable church in Old Riga. I've been there. It's a remarkable building. It's absolutely fantastic. And all the wealthy and rich, when it became really trendy to be calling yourself Christian in in Eastern Europe at the fall of the Iron Curtain, all the wealthy and rich went there. They wanted to get married. He took the weddings. And he thought to himself, I don't know quite what we ought to do when we do weddings with people. They're supposed to be Christian. I suppose we ought to do something. And so he found online something called the four spiritual laws, which helps a person become a Christian. And he used to do that with the couples. And he said, I will only take your wedding if you pray the prayer at the end of the four spiritual laws. Anyway, he'd been doing this for about a year and a half. And one couple, as they left, he thought to himself, I've never prayed that prayer myself. And he became a Christian. The Lord opened his heart. Meanwhile, Artis, our friend, was a 19-year-old computer geek, a complete wizzo. And he had been traveling around uh, Riga, having been employed by Coca-Cola as their key man as they opened up at that part of Eastern Europe. Artis, at the same time as driving his Porsche, because he was very well paid, around Riga, age 19, open top. At the same time, Artis was studying philosophy for a second degree. He'd already got a degree, doing his second degree in philosophy. His philosophy tutor said to him, you should read Kant. Uh, You're reading Kant. You should read Augustine, the Christian writer Augustine, so that you know what Kant is objecting to. (laughs) And so artists started reading Kant, uh, Augustine. As he read Augustine, he realized this is true. And he became a Christian. The Lord opened his heart. He then discovered Alvis, who by this stage had set up his own radio show, and the two of them got together and started planting churches. It's just glorious, isn't it? How does God do his work. Jesus sovereignly directs, and you may have been sovereignly directed to London for just such a purpose. And the Lord supernaturally opens the heart. Let's pray together. We praise you, our Father, for the mighty advance of your gospel, that your gospel truth has reached even us in this obscure part of the world. We praise you that your gospel word triumphs across the globe. It is advancing across the world. And we praise you that Jesus majestically directs the advance of the gospel. We pray, our Father, that in your kindness you would open many, many hearts to hear your gospel truth. In Jesus' name, amen.